Welcome to Breaking Through. I'm Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And I'm bringing you this podcast from the iHeart Breakthrough Radio Studios in Philadelphia. September is National Suicide Prevention Month, and organizations and advocates across the country are coming together to talk about behavioral health. For listeners who aren't familiar with that term, behavioral health is really a continuum of emotional, behavioral, and mental health and well-being. Behavioral health is a very important topic right now. The counselors, social workers, psychologists, and psychiatrists at CHOP are seeing more and more children with behavioral health needs. In fact, the number of children seen in CHOP's emergency department for behavioral health tripled in the last year alone. At CHOP, we are creating new models of care for children because we believe behavioral health is just as important as physical health. Dr. Tammy Benton is here today to tell you about this really important topic. Dr. Benton is CHOP's psychiatrist-in-chief and chair of the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Dr. Benton is on the front lines of the behavioral health crisis, and she and her team are working to make breakthroughs for children in need. Let's start with some background and some facts. About 21% of children under 18 have a behavioral health condition that causes significant impairment, and suicide is the second leading cause of death in adolescence. What percentage of CHOP patients are affected by a behavioral health condition? Madeline, that's an excellent introduction to the scope of the problem. So 21% of children in the community are affected by behavioral health or mental health conditions, and we estimate that at least that many children will be affected at CHOP. Currently, we're aware that Children with chronic medical conditions have higher rates of mental health conditions than children in the general population. We also know that about 13% of children between the ages of 5 and 13 exhibit some type of behavioral impairment by the time they're 13 and up to 21% by the time they're 18 years of age. We've also become aware that there are increasing rates of depression, anxiety, in children and adolescents with eating disorders that are presenting to our emergency department. So we're definitely in the midst of what appears to be an increasing crisis of behavioral health. When you say 21% by the time they're age 18, that's one in five. I bet you every single family has been touched by this in some way directly or through one person removed that they know. Yes, that's, that's accurate. And unfortunately, those families face significant barriers to being able to access services for treatment of those conditions. Well, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about those barriers today because I want to join together with you and others to really ensure that people are aware of that because until we know the barriers, there's not much that we can do about it. Some of the things that we've done at CHOP, given the fact that children sometimes have behavioral and medical issues, one of the things that we did was open a new medical behavioral unit. Can you just tell me a little bit more about that? The medical behavioral unit has been a real shining star of our new initiatives at CHOP. So the medical behavioral unit is a 10-bed unit designed specifically for children and adolescents with medical conditions who exhibit behavioral health or emotional concerns that interfere with their treatment. Many times, children who have chronic medical conditions, even if they're doing well outside of the hospital, are stressed by the hospital setting. And many times, those kids can appear more anxious, withdrawn, sad, tearful, oppositional at times, or more irritable, and not able to cooperate with their treatment. 
during those times, those kids actually need a much higher level of support during their hospitalization. The medical behavioral unit, which is a relatively small unit, has 10 beds, but it's staffed by an expert team of mental health providers, trained nurses, one-to-one behavioral therapy staff, our child life specialists, social work, and psychology who address the behavioral health needs of those children in addition to their medical needs. The implementation of the medical behavioral unit has had tremendous outcomes and really allowed children who typically struggle in the hospital to do well. So let's step back from the hospital inpatient setting and just talk about behavioral health in general. So I understand that um, studies show that between there's an eight to 10 year lag from the time somebody has an issue before it's detected. Can you tell me a little bit about why that is? So there, there are a multitude of reasons. And Madeline, in addition to the fact that there are significant time lags before identification, those children who are identified, only about 20% of them actually receive services. The barriers to obtaining the needed services are frequently failure to identify the problems with children by providers and by families, barriers to appointments, long waits, not enough specialists in the area. There, there really is a shortage of pediatric mental health providers in the state of Pennsylvania and in the United States. And so many times parents can't access their services. So what are some of the things that you, as the psychiatrist-in-chief at CHOP, are doing to help with the access to services? So I'm very fortunate to be at CHOP, where I work with colleagues who are very tuned into these issues and support behavioral health care pretty strongly. One of the things that we've done is to partner with our pediatric colleagues to identify mental health conditions in the primary care setting so that we've made a commitment to identifying the presence of behavioral health conditions at every site of entry at CHOP. So within our emergency department, we actually screen for behavioral health conditions, including suicide. In our primary care settings, we screen for behavioral health conditions, including suicide, in our specialty care settings and in the hospital. And you mentioned suicide a couple times. Can you tell me about why we're screening for suicide and what the incidence of suicide is in the, in the population of children and adolescents? Currently, suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people between the ages of 10 to 25. So it's the second leading cause of death for children, adolescents, and young adults. I'm really glad you repeated that because I think that's really important for everyone in the audience to know. The troubling issues regarding suicide is that suicide is entirely preventable. And we know that there's very high yield for early intervention. We recognize at CHOP that by asking the questions, identifying the risk, and intervening early, that we're able to prevent suicide. Unfortunately, nationally and internationally, the rates of suicide continue to increase. And we've not been successful at stemming the tide of suicide. Even more concerning, we're observing that suicide is occurring at younger ages. So we're actually seeing more suicide attempts and completed suicides among children 10 to 14 years of age. And we've noticed an increase in the number of girls who are making suicide attempts. This is a relatively new phenomenon. And because it's new, we don't really understand that population, but we're focused on trying to understand the population of young adolescents better. Those are staggering statistics, and it's hard to wrap your head around that. And for those of us who are dedicated to working with children, it seems like we can't spend enough time and energy on this topic. Since you said that suicide is the second leading cause of death for adolescents, 
Tell me about some of the things that you are leading to address this this crisis. So at CHOP, we have a team who's leading the Zero Suicide Initiative. The Zero Suicide is an internationally recognized aspirational framework for ending suicide events in the healthcare setting. A major tenet of Zero Suicide is leadership engagement around the mission of suicide prevention. And our leaders have been fully engaged in this mission and has communicated that message at every level of the organization. Our team has started to develop clinical pathways um, and clinical guidelines to help our staff assess and identify suicide and to respond appropriately when it's identified. And then we've developed outcomes that we measure um, that we use to inform our practice. Our commitment is to ending suicide at CHOP so that there will not ever be a suicide in our healthcare setting. Tell me about what you and your team have done to help pediatricians in the community. I can imagine they see the patients more or the children more frequently than we do at the hospital. What are the types of things that you do to help pediatricians and the families that take their children to the pediatrician? So we've, we've been very focused on integrating behavioral health care with medical care throughout all of our settings at CHOP. The goals of integrating mental health care with medical care is it destigmatizes families who are seeking treatment for behavioral health conditions, and unfortunately the stigma is still very real for families. We break down the barriers of having to find somewhere to go to receive your treatment, and we assure families have continuity by making sure they're cared for by the providers who care for them every single day. We've recently increased the number of behavioral health providers at CHOP. It's been a significant investment. We've hired more than 70 behavioral health professionals in the last couple of years who are integrated with our medical teams in the inpatient setting and with our medical teams in the outpatient setting, most specifically focused on children with chronic health conditions. But we're also embedding mental health providers in the primary care practices where kids receive most of their care. Close to 60% of the problems that children present with in the primary care setting are behaviorally related. So pediatricians are ideally positioned to address those concerns with the right level of support. We've started a new program that we're very proud of, um, our Healthy Minds, Healthy Kids program, which is our integrated care initiative. And that program, in certain CHOP sites, because we're currently in the process of generalizing that intervention, We've placed mental health professionals in the primary care practices who work alongside the pediatricians. So if families are in need of behavioral health interventions, they're able to receive them at that site many times on the same day. And that's been a very successful intervention. We're also starting to expand our community partnerships so that we recognize that, you know, we care for children within our CHOP network, but Children within the CHOP network are also cared for by providers in the community. So we've partnered with many community organizations to expand access. One of our recent programs developed in the last two years has been our Telephonic Psychiatric Services Program, or our TIPS program. The TIPS program is staffed by a team of child psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, and case managers who are accessible to community pediatricians every day during the week and can access a consultation with those professionals within a 30-minute time frame so that a practicing pediatrician who has a question about a child who's in their office can pick up the phone and call a child psychiatrist, and in less than 30 minutes, they'll have a consultation and a physician who can walk them through the care of that child. Currently, we, we partner with about 130 pediatric practices, and we're continuing to expand that practice. It's been very popular. We've also started to partner with, um, around emergency care, 
with Belmont Behavioral Health. In the last few years, as Madeline's mentioned, our emergency department volume has tripled with children who are experiencing crises. Some of those children will need ongoing urgent care. We've embedded um, child psychiatrists and social workers in the emergency department who provide 24-hour care to children in crisis. And for those children who are needing more intensive care long-term, we've partnered with Belmont Behavioral Health to provide that care along with the child providers. In addition to our primary care initiatives and some of our urgent services, we've started to partner with community schools. Within the schools, we've started to provide some services, including group counseling, group treatment-based interventions, and we're providing supervision and education for counselors and teachers to identify children with behavioral health conditions and to know how to respond. Wow, that's a lot of support that your team is providing, and you added a lot of people to your team recently in order to do that. When I think about a pediatrician in the community, 60% of the patients that come to them need behavioral health support. I'm sure they are thrilled that you're a phone call away. And, you know, we talked about the emergency department volume tripling and the fact that we've got people there that can help the staff and the patients and families in this type of crisis. But it sounds like um, there's an unmet need, which we've been talking about from the beginning. And I'm wondering how we help people think about the long-term solution of getting more people to be counselors, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists. And before we answer that question more broadly, I'd love to hear from you. What made you decide to be a child and adolescent psychiatrist? There are very few of them in the country, relatively speaking, when you think about doctors in general or pediatricians. So what was behind your calling to be a psychiatrist? During medical school, I really was drawn to working with children. And I really enjoyed that. And I decided I was going to become a pediatrician. And then I spent some time in psychiatry, and I began to appreciate that we weren't asking kids about all the things that really affected their lives. And it seemed as though there was a gap for me in in understanding the whole child, understanding what was happening to them medically, but also understanding what was happening in their families and what was happening in their inner lives. Child psychiatry training combined with pediatric training gave me a special insight into the population of kids who have medical conditions and mental health conditions. And I've always practiced in a children's hospital where I've learned to work with kids who have some very complex medical conditions. But I've also noticed that their outcomes are better when we're able to provide a much more holistic approach to their treatment. We're currently still facing a shortage. This past year, about 50% of the child psychiatry training programs went unfilled. Much of this has to do with the cost of medical education. But we are actually doing some things to expand access and to support educating mental health professionals at multiple levels. At CHOP, you know, we have our own training programs that we're developing with some of the community agencies to train more social workers who are focused on working with children, more licensed professional counselors, more psychologists, um, nurse practitioners, and other mental health clinicians who can help fill some of the gaps. And we've started to practice more using a team-based structure which actually works better for families, decreases the burden for any one caregiver, and expands access for us. So that's good news because I I know the number of years that you put into training, and maybe not everyone will uh, feel as dedicated to doing that, 
but it sounds like there are a lot of different options, career options, that you can choose to help these type of children, and not just children, but we're talking about children today, but people suffering from emotional, behavioral, or mental health issues in general. So this podcast, I talk about breakthroughs, and we're talking about a, I think, a pretty challenging health crisis that you and I, as people who are involved in children's health care, face every day. But I would like to say, is there anything that you can think of that was really a breakthrough moment for you as you have been uh, working very hard to address this whole crisis? I think a breakthrough moment for me occurred probably um, maybe after five to 10 years at, at the Children's Hospital, where I provided care for children with sickle cell disease. And I noticed that my the adolescents with whom I worked who developed um, depression seemed to have worse health outcomes than those who did not develop depression. At that time, a family asked me if I believed that the depression had caused their child to become sicker. And at the time, my answer was, I don't think so. Um, I've since learned that, yes, depression probably does cause your child to become sicker, in part because there's a strong relationships between medical conditions, their biology, and the biology of mental health conditions. At the time, we conceptualized mental health conditions like depression as more psychological or psychosocial adjustment issues, as opposed to brain-based disorders that presented with medical presentations just like every other disorder. And since that time, we've actually started to um, focus on understanding mental health conditions as neurodevelopmental disorders. And there's a, quite a few neuroscientists at CHOP who are actually starting to understand these conditions and are poised to make some breakthroughs. Certainly, mental health research is not in the same place as much of the other research that we do to cure illnesses, and we have a long way to go. The brain's a very complex organ, so it's hard to find one fix. But what we are learning using advanced neuroimaging, advanced neuroimmunology, genomics, is we're beginning to understand the etiologies of some of these neurodevelopmental disorders, and we've developed some ways to be able to identify them in children who don't have symptoms before they start to manifest symptoms of their disorders. So I believe that we are at a point where we're beginning to make some advances in understanding these disorders, but I definitely believe that there's a very, very strong relationship between the origins of the medical conditions and many of the mental health conditions that we see in children. Well, not only is that a breakthrough, but it's also hopeful when you think about the research that's happening at CHOP and um, the dedication that you and your team have to this. And I think I'll, I'll end by saying, uh, before we close today, that I, I heard an interview with somebody. This was all around awareness of mental health conditions. And she said when she left psychiatric hospital that nobody brought her flowers or welcomed her home like she would have if she had had a heart attack. And I think the, the stigma associated with this, once we build awareness and get people not focused on it being something different, the brain or the body, they're really completely connected. Maybe we'll have more people in training and more access, and particularly for children, more treatments, more research dollars, all the things that you and I know that we need to tackle this issue. So that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Dr. Benton for joining me today. And if you or someone you know is in crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 or text TALK, T-A-L-K, 
to 741-741 to text a crisis counselor. To learn more about our work in behavioral health, please visit chop.edu. At CHOP, we're working together to make breakthroughs for children in need. I'm Madeline Bell, and thank you for listening.